Bibles, if you would please, and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 is where I want to direct your attention this morning. We're going to read from Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. So Acts chapter 15, of course, you'll find the book of Acts. In the New Testament, it's definitely towards the back portion of the Bible, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. And Acts 15, verses 36 to 41 is where I would like to read from this morning. This is what Holy Scripture says, this little vignette that we have. <coughs> Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. It's been a few semesters uh, since I have done this, but when I taught a class at Lancaster Bible College, it was one of my responsibilities to walk through with the freshmen through the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer talks a bit about forgiveness, and then in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, at the end of it, there is a warning that Jesus gave. He said, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, that's a pretty serious warning. And, and as uh, we went through this passage and over these verses, I tried to tell these students, these young men and women who were in my class, that were someday going to lead churches as pastors or youth pastors or regardless of their occupation, my hope was that they were going to be heavily involved in local churches. One of the things that I told them was that the, one of the most consistent pastoral issues that they would face uh, had to do with thinking biblically about forgiveness, about forgiveness and reconciliation and conflict. It comes up all the time in churches, and there's all kinds of questions that we ask about conflict and forgiveness and reconciliation. And you, you know why this is, right? If, if you've lived... Any length of time, you know how much conflict comes up. Maybe it happens to you at work. Um, maybe there's, there's somebody there who just likes to bring their problems and vomit them all over everybody all the time. It's just trouble, trouble, trouble. And they create problems. So every day you're there, you're thinking about forgiveness and bitterness and kindness and grace and all those things. Maybe com conflict comes up at your house a lot. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like in the hospital when, when we were there for the birth of our children, that in addition to a birth certificate, the hospital should issue you a black and white striped shirt. Because sometimes I feel like parenting is a little more than refereeing. There are days that that happens. <laughs> Blow the whistle. Penalty on the field by the sibling, kicking the sister, five-yard penalty, one apology. Uh, the Bible's teachings about conflict and forgiveness, aren't they? They're, they're pretty tight, aren't they? Um, there's, there's not much room in the Bible for refusing to forgive someone or refusing to pursue reconciliation. Jesus told this parable, didn't he, where uh, the point of the parable was 
seeing how much we have been forgiven by God, what right do you have not to forgive someone else? And it doesn't leave us a lot of room. That parable bites. It kind of goes along with the logic that John has in 1 John 4. If God has loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. We Christians, we're the forgiveness people, aren't we? It's our message. You can be forgiven by God through the gospel. And it's supposed to be our lifestyle. We forgive. That's what we do. We're supposed to be the forgiveness people. Um, and, and then, while we're happily reading through the book of Acts, this wonderful story, and, and we just finished this chapter where there was this issue that could have blown the church apart about whether or not you had to obey the law in order to be forgiven. And just as we read about the apostles working their way through it and having conflict and, and coming out unanimous and affirming uh, grace through uh, faith, uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, then right after that scene, there is this conflict about a personnel decision that tears apart the first ministry team in the book of Acts. Um, the church makes it through what could have been an atomic bomb of <laughs> theological discussion but then these two apostles, Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that their ministry partnership ends. I'm, I'm glad that when I was talking about forgiveness with my students, nobody ever brought this passage up. <laughs> this doesn't seem to mesh very well with what the rest of the Bible says about forgiveness and reconciliation and, and conflict. Look, for just a minute here, at verse 39, it says, They had such a sharp disagreement... That word sharp disagreement also appears in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says that love is not easily angered. It's the same word. Love is not sharply disagreeing. There's not a whole lot of love here apparently in Acts 15. They parted, verse 39 says. That, uh, that's a word that Jesus uses in Matthew 19 to describe divorce. Uh, John, uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas here are not, not married. But they had been put together by the Holy Spirit in a ministry team, and now they're uh, it's torn apart. Every expert that I consulted about this passage writes uniformly that this is just a sad, just a sad passage. It's sad, and it's a little confusing. It's confusing because there's not really as much information in these verses as we would want. I think the reason for that, John Stott points this out, and he's right. He said... This is a story that's here not to give us all the ins and outs about Christian conflict. It's not a passage with great detail about reconciliation and forgiveness. He said really the reason that these verses are here is just part of the narrative to, to tell us why is Silas now traveling with, with Paul and not Barnabas. You'd wonder about that if this story wasn't here. You'd, you'd hear Paul and Silas in chapter 16 you'd say, what happened to Barnabas? Where did he go? So it's here for that reason. Uh, primarily. Stott also says that if nothing else, this is a passage that tells us that these men were real human beings. The early church wasn't marvelously or stupendously perfect. They had conflicts and quarrels. As we come to this passage this morning, we have to think to ourselves and we have to ask ourselves, what does this passage say or contribute uh, as we think about the mission in the book of Acts? You know, the mission that Jesus gave the apostles and then to us, to testify him about him to the ends of the earth. What is this passage? How does this piece, this passage, fit into that puzzle of the mission in the book of Acts? 
So as we're going to walk through this passage, what I want to do is I want to think about it under three headings. We're going to talk about the conflict, then we're going to talk about the resolution, and third, we're going to come to the all-important mission. My goal is, as we walk through this text, I want you to help, I want you to help us think about conflict and how our differences are actually a part of the mission that Jesus gave us. So, the conflict itself. Here, let's start there. Verse 35 tells us that after the council in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and they were there for some time, we don't know how long that is, and they were involved in teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, and then Paul begins, he suggests to Barnabas, let's go back to all the places that we visited before and see how they're doing. I think the word all there is important, and I'll show you why in, in a few minutes. As some people point to this moment as the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. You remember that from Acts 13 on, the book of Acts follows Paul as he goes uh, traveling around the Mediterranean uh, preaching the gospel. And we, we did his first missionary journey. He went up into the region of the Galatians. And now here this is the beginning of the second missionary journey. In a couple of weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to have us again turn to the maps at the back of your Bible. We're going to trace Paul's second missionary journey. It will give me another opportunity to berate you about how you need a Bible with maps in it. But that's coming, so something to look forward to. Here's the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, and he invites Barnabas to go along. Barnabas thinks it's a great idea, and he wants to bring, though, John, who is called Mark, and here's where the conflict arises. Paul doesn't want to take it. So they have a sharp disagreement about it. And I ask the question as I read this paragraph, who's right? Should they take Mark along or not? Well, let's review the facts here of what happened here. Uh, flip back with me to Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 13. Let's look at this situation that had, had arisen uh, that um, explains some of Paul's hesitation. Acts 13, 13, the text says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That's all the text says. We don't know why John Mark left them. Um, maybe he was sick. Some people said that. Maybe he was afraid of persecution. Possibility. Some people wonder if Paul, if John Mark wasn't upset because... Paul seemed to be taking leadership over of the ministry team from Barnabas, and that just made him mad. I don't know why he left in Pamphylia, but at least according to Paul, it was not a credit to his character. There's something wrong with Mark's decision to leave Pamphylia. So should they take Mark along or not? Who's right, Paul or Barnabas? Well, some people say that Paul was right. Uh, and they, they say that Luke gives us subtle clues that Paul's right. If you look back at Acts 15, uh, one of those subtle clues is that in verse 38, it gives us at least Paul has a reason for why he doesn't want to take Mark along. He doesn't think it's wise, verse 38 says. There's no reason why Barnabas does want to take him along, though I think we can speculate about it, and I'm going to in a few minutes. That, but Luke gives us this clue. Paul's thinking about it here wisely. And then some people point out in verse 40, Paul... And Silas are commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, but it doesn't say anything about whether or not Barnabas was commended by the grace of the Lord. So Luke, they say, is giving us these very subtle clues that Paul is right. I think they're very subtle clues, though, like really subtle clues. 
I do think, though, I understand maybe what Paul is after here. Paul is thinking about the team. Uh, Mark already showed once that he was willing to abandon them. What if he abandons them again? See, the team is going to serve together in an environment where there's going to be great persecution and hostility. They can't take someone along with Mark's track record. It could destroy the team. What would it do to the morale of the ministry team if Mark leaves again? I understand Paul's concerns. It seems harsh. Uh, But he's thinking about the team, the whole team, and how the team is going to work together. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was a student in Sunday school, and Steve Wilson was teaching us. He was teaching us about Amy Carmichael. Now, Brittany's here this morning, and I did not know that Brittany was going to be here. Where did she go somewhere? There she is. Sorry. I didn't know this. Um, Her fine husband, not here this morning, but she is, so she can report. When you tell him about it, make me look really good. Okay, so good, good. So Steve, uh, so Steve, uh, well, Steve was talking to us about Amy Carmichael. Do you know Amy Carmichael? Amy Carmichael was a missionary in India. She served for a long period of time. She had a hugely successful, wonderfully fruitful ministry, in particular to children, the children in India. And she wrote several books, and you can read them, and, and they're still helpful. When our, Amy Carmichael first wanted to go overseas, she applied to several different mission agencies, and all of them turned her down. And the reason that they turned her down is because of her persistent and debilitating illness. She had a lot; uh, she had frail health, and they didn't think that she would be willing, uh, strong enough to go serve on the mission field. Now, Steve compared what she actually accomplished with the rejection that she received from the missions agencies, and concluded oh, these guys were just wrong. They they shouldn't have rejected her. Look what she did; they were so wrong about this. Uh, that was Steve's contention, but I, I'm not sure about that, though. In fact, I raised the issue in class, and we, we discussed it for a little bit. We didn't have a sharp disagreement, but we talked about it for a little bit. I think, see, my, my thinking is that the leaders of the agency were responsible. They were responsible to the supporters. They were responsible to other missionaries on the field. They were responsible to send uh, those overseas who showed the most potential Uh, for ministry. They didn't know what she was going to do. They had to make a decision based on what they saw. And illness was a significant threat to missions effectiveness. Um, Amy Carmichael went overseas not too long after the period of time when missionaries, you didn't pack your stuff in a suitcase and you didn't pack your stuff in a a trunk. You packed your stuff in your coffin because you were probably going to need that box pretty soon. Illness was a significant threat and Amy Carmichael was in frail health. I think that the people who turned her down were being faithful ministry leaders, as hard as that is to see. This sort of strictness with, with regard to ministry qualifications, it frustrates some people. Sometimes you, uh, you, you, you uh, see a young man and you say to him, you know, you show great potential for ministry, but I really think that you need to go to college or to, to seminary and, and hone some of your skills and, and fill up some of the gaps in your knowledge. And, and sometimes the young men will say, You know that Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher in the English language, never went to college or seminary. Why should I? And when you hear that, you look at that young man very gently and very kindly, and you say to him, dude, you ain't no Spurgeon. (laughs) Uh, Spurgeon and Amy Carmichael are the exception that prove the rules. There's qualifications for ministry for a reason. 
I wonder if Paul's strictness here is actually why in verse 40 it says he was commended by the believers. Luke is trying to say to you, even though Paul was being the more hard-nosed about this, the church still supported him. I wonder if verse 40 is not a defense of Paul, but kind of an apology for Paul. Now what about Barnabas, though? Why does Barnabas want to take Mark along? The text doesn't say, I think we can make a good guess based on what we know about Barnabas. What do we know about Barnabas? Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas is the man who believed in Paul when no one else would believe in Paul. Barnabas was a gentle, gracious man. And I think he wants to give Mark a second chance. We believe in second chances, right? Um, You've messed up enough in your life that you're pulling at least a little bit for, for this man who believed it, right? Who blew it. Don't you want to believe that, that like Edmund in the Chronicles of Narnia, after his treachery, Aslan gives him a sword and sends him back out into the field? Don't you want to believe that Jesus is, is rooting for Mark in that way? Go out, back out, Mark. Aren't second chances wrapped up in the gospel itself? The gospel is one of the reasons, I think, that why second chance stories appeal to us The the gospel is good news for people who don't deserve a second chance at all. It's for people who've fallen short of God's standards and they know it. It's for all of us. It's for all of us who have walked away from doing the right thing because it felt too hard at the moment. It's for all of us who, who have preferred something else, something more pleasant, something we thought was more valuable than God himself. It's for people on the outs who don't deserve God's Uh, second chance, but deserve rather his fiery wrath. The gospel is this call to be reconciled because Jesus Christ has come and bore sin's penalty on the cross and died and rose again. You can be reconciled to God by turning and trusting in him. See, uh, that's what the gospel is. It's, It's a story of his perfect record and our failing record. And the, and the Bible tells us, as, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, even after we cross the line of faith, sin's power is broken in us, but it remains and it rears its ugly head and we need forgiveness over and over and over again. What about Mark's second chance here? Some people argue that Barnabas was right because of what happens to Mark. What happens to Mark after this story? In Colossians 4, Paul tells the church in Colossae to welcome Mark in. Then in 2 Timothy 4, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Bring Mark with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. This is the same man who wrote the Gospel of Mark. It seemed like he turned out pretty well. This is the even better record than, than, than Amy Carmichael had. Maybe Steve was right. Maybe Barnabas was right after all here. All Mark needs is a second chance. But this, oh, I can hear the other side. This is a story not about forgiveness, but about ministry qualifications. So who's right here in this story? You may not like this, I don't think, very much at all. But aren't they both a little right? Isn't Barnabas right because he's the encourager? But Paul's right too. Uh, It's good to set high standards. So I had this sharp disagreement. I wonder what that was like. It's a hot word. Sharp disagreement is a hot word. I bet Paul could Paul could bring the heat to an argument, couldn't he? 
Um, I, I'm going to read you a script. It's, it's uh, an imaginary script. Listen, I wonder if this is how their conversation started. Uh, Paul begins the conversation. Mark, we can't take him. He failed us last time. But that was last time. He'll fail us again. He's a deserter. No, he's not a deserter. He's a person who happened to desert once. He's had time to think it over. We've got to give him another chance. He's got the makings of a great missionary. Tell me, Barnabas. Isn't it just because he's your cousin that you want to take him again? That's a low blow, Paul. Some of my best friends are not cousins. I'm just convinced this this guy, he needs understanding and help. We need someone who can stand up to persecution, angry mobs, beatings, perhaps jail. Our team has to be close-knit, thoroughly reliable. How can we trust someone like Mark with this kind of responsibility? No, Barnabas. Recall the words of the master. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're quoting scripture pretty selectively there, Paul. Jesus also said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Besides, I've talked to him about his failure. He's very sorry. I'm sure he won't defect again. In fact, to refuse to let him go with us might do spiritual damage to him at the very moment of repentance. It'd be like breaking a bruised reed. Barnabas, there's too much at stake here. The risk is too great. I won't do it. Either you leave Mark at home or I'll go without you. That's final. Then I guess you'll have to go without me, Paul. But I'm not going to stay here in Antioch. You know, God called me to the mission field too. I'll take Mark with me and I'll show you how wrong you were. One of these days you're going to regret your attitude toward Mark. Paul, just don't get in my way, he says. I'm heading back to Asia Minor and I don't want to run into the two of you. Sharp disagreement. So how did they resolve this conflict here? It's interesting. The text doesn't say very much about that. It only says they parted company. Verse 39. It's all that we have. How did they part company? That's what I wonder about. Did they... We get the impression from some people that that, um, they parted company with slamming of doors. Fine, pain, fine, pain. Don't run into me. I don't want to see you ever again. I'm not sure how, though, that that's how this passage ends. I'm not sure that this passage doesn't conflict so much with what the Bible says about conflict and forgiveness. I'm going to speculate for a little bit. I'm going to speculate with a text or two, but I'm going to speculate for just a minute. Verse 39 says that Mark and Barnabas went to Cyprus, and Paul went to Syria and Cilicia. Now, how did they agree with that? How did this work out? Why wasn't Paul on the same ship as Barnabas and Mark, which could have been awkward? How, how did they decide that they were going to go in two different directions? I think this is part of the plan that they worked out together. Paul had wanted to go to all of the cities. Remember, he said, let's go back to all the places we preach the gospel. And he had started in Cyprus. So why didn't he go to Cyprus? I wonder if Paul had suggested to Barnabas, said to him, listen, maybe Barnabas volunteered for this, I don't know. But they come up with the idea, you take Mark and go to Cyprus. And Cyprus is a good place for a second chance. There's, it's a little bit easier there. The persecution isn't so bad. It's your home turf. Um, that might be a good place for you and Mark to go. 
And then Paul says, well, I'll take Silas and I'll go back to the lion's den of Syria and Cilicia. Is that how they parted company? Here's more of the script that I, that I read earlier. Here's how it continues. Barnabas starts this. Paul, what do you want? Paul, this isn't right. I'm sorry for some of the things I said. I love you, brother, and I want the best for you. If we can't work together, that's at least part as friends. I agree, Barnabas. I'm sorry, too. Listen, why don't you go to Cyprus, where you've had such a significant ministry in the past. I give you my blessing. Write to me so that I can hear how God is using you. Will do, and God bless you, Paul. Take care you don't get stoned again in Lystra. (laughs) I'll meet you back here in Antioch. Is that what happened? I don't know. I don't know, but what I do know is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul commended Barnabas as an honorable apostle. He still regarded him highly. I think there's some help for us as we think about conflict and reconciliation and forgiveness. I want to mention two things. First, I think this passage teaches us that conflict is, or reminds us, that conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Here the conflict is over a personnel decision. Who can go with Paul on the second journey? Paul and Barnabas have different philosophies of ministry. They're different, but uh, I think they're equally valid suggestions, right, in this discussion that they're having. Church life, because church life involves people, it will involve conflict, because people have different preferences and different positions and different uh, uh, convictions, There's going to be conflict. Don't be surprised. Don't be disheartened. Don't think it's a sign uh, of the abandonment of the spirit or that the the congregation is giving up on the mission. Uh, This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer, and some of you might choose to participate in some of the local county events. And and you'll go, and there'll be uh, large meetings with all kinds of Christians. There'll be some Baptist Christians and Mennonite Christians and Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and all kinds of Christians meeting together. And... You'll, you'll go and it'll be wonderful and you'll leave and you'll think to yourself, oh, why can't the church be like this all the time? That we all get together all the time. This is so wonderful. Why can't we make this work more regularly, more consistently? You might have that thought when you come home from a missions trip. You'll go on a missions trip and you'll serve with this group of 10 or 15 people and you'll get really tight with them. For the sake of Christ and you'll pray together and you'll you'll enjoy serving with one another you'll sacrifice for one another and and you'll come back and say why can't that last you you can't last because you're human and conflict is inevitable now here's the second principle to remember I think about conflict here disagree with reconciliation in mind disagree with reconciliation in mind You can look at this story, I think, from two different angles. You can look at it microscopically, very small. Microscopically, it is about a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. They split and go their separate ways. I think, though, you can also look at this story from a wide-angle lens, the whole New Testament story. And what happens in the whole New Testament story? Paul comes to value Mark. He wants to serve with him. He holds up Barnabas as an example of a hard-working apostle. They had a disagreement, but it was not a destructive disagreement. It made future warmth and friendship and ministry partnership possible. 
When you're in a conflict with someone, can I encourage you this morning to keep this long view in mind? The idea that someday you may be reconciled and together. Don't do anything in the midst of the conflict right now together that will make reconciliation in the future harder than necessary. Don't set off any nuclear bombs. Don't destroy the person, uh, destroy them or poison them. Keep in mind that even if it's not in this life, even if it's not in this life, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be reconciled with them someday. In fact, you're going to be reconciled with them in a relationship of loving and serving and rejoicing in Jesus that is going to last 10,000 times longer than the conflict you've had right now. 10,000 times 10,000 times. Take the long view of conflict. I wonder if you ended your last dating relationship in such a way that if you take the long look, you won't be embarrassed about what you said and how you ended it. I wonder if that last committee meeting and what you said during it and what you thought after it, do you have the long view in mind? The long view about that brother and sister, brother or sister that you were talking to or talking about. Uh, Will you be able to say of that person someday, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next month, but in time, will you be able to say to them, that person, oh, that person is valuable to me as a follower of Jesus Christ. That person is, is, is fruitful. God uses them in my life to encourage me. Did your last Facebook interaction end with this long view in mind? Long-term view in mind? Someday, maybe not in this life, but someday when your life really begins, there'll be reconciliation? Now, I think that for the purpose of the book of Acts here, the most significant element in this passage has to do with the mission. And what's significant about the mission in the book of Acts is that now, instead of one ministry team, there are actually two ministry teams. Uh, let's, let's finish by thinking about this mission here. This is a sharp disagreement, and what is the result of it? It doubles the number of ministry teams. That's wonderful. This is the blessing of this disagreement. Barnabas and Mark and Paul and Silas are now out teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. That's excellent. The ministry strength has doubled through this disagreement. In his uh, autobiography, and I think I've heard him say it in a few other places too, uh, Warren Wearsby. Do you recognize the name Warren Wearsby? Warren Wearsby uh, said that he experienced a great amount of freedom and joy in his life when he realized how God blesses people, he said, God blesses people with whom I disagree. You might be a much happier person if you take that as your own motto or your own recognition. God blesses people with whom I disagree. Think about how this passage here can help us think about our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ with whom we disagree. Even, even if our disagreement started and it was sharp, And we came to the conclusion that we couldn't work together over this issue. (coughs) Look, there's now two teams. Maybe we can think about different churches and denominations and parachurch ministries. Let me be divisive for just a minute, shall we? Um, I'm not going to hide the fact that that there are churches in existence that I wish they didn't baptize babies. I don't think the Bible sustains that. 
I wish there were some churches that didn't divide their worship services by music style and split the church generationally or by preference. I don't think that's a good idea. I wish there were churches out there who would change their doctrine and would teach their people that God holds and keeps those who are his permanently. And there are churches out there who wish I would change too. I have a friend who is a pastor of uh, one of the pastors at Crossway Church. Uh, it's charismatic and it's doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And he says to me, said to me several years ago, he said, when are you guys going to start actually believing in the third member of the Trinity? And there are brothers and sisters out there who think it's a sin that we don't baptize babies. Now, if they want to argue about those things, I can do that. I'm ready to do that. My mother has told me since I was a teenager I'm ready to argue about anything. <laughs> Mostly, though, I think we should just be happy. If they're preaching the same gospel about the same Lord, then we should be happy. Because the mission continues. It's moving and it's spreading. I think I'm right about these issues. If I didn't think I was right, I would resign and join some other church. But if you're preaching the same gospel, God be with you. Go far and fast and spread the gospel. God bless you, even though I disagree with you. The Holy Spirit works strangely sometimes, doesn't, doesn't he? In Acts 13, he called out Barnabas and Paul. He sent him out. Very specifically, I'm calling Paul and Barnabas to go. In Acts 15, he works through Paul's initiative, right? Paul just says, hey, let's go. Let's go. Sometimes he works through churches directly. Sometimes he calls people to ministry as elders lay their hands on them. This here, the Holy Spirit is working through this fight in this chapter, and it doubles the ministry teams. All right. Great. That's the mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. There will be in the course of time one church and two churches and a family of churches, a denomination here, a denomination there, but one, one message testifying about me to the ends of the earth. The sharp disagreements might come. Just don't stop the mission. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we come before you this morning, and we are grateful to you for this story in the Bible that helps us to think about our brothers and sisters that we um, disagree with about important issues. Lord, we thank you, though, that um, we have the same Lord, those who exalt and celebrate the fact that our Savior Jesus is the one who came and died for us and rescues those who turn to him and trust in him. We thank you that there are congregations in Millersville who, who gladly preach that message, congregations in Lampeter and Willow Street and Conestoga and Peckway and Lancaster. Lord, we do pray. I, I, these men and women, as they, they, they think, they even in this room and downstairs, we can think about churches that we drove past this morning or friends that we know who are a part of other congregations. And Lord, we pray that you would bless these 
churches, that you would expand their ministry, that they would ever more love the mission that Jesus gave us and that it would be evident in the work that they do. Thank you, Lord, that you bless people. You, you inspire and carry forth and send out laborers into the harvest field. Lord, we pray that you would help us in the midst of conflict to take the long view and to take the happy view that you bring good things out of hard times. You are you're great. Thank you for Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Silas. Raise up more of them and send them out. We pray together in Christ's name, saying, Amen. For the Lamb of God, he came, and the Lamb of God was slain, and the Lamb of God was raised. And that changes everything for us. So let's stand and, uh, and sing about that today.